stream might help if you can see us. I'm here with Bree Berry today. Apologize to everybody for the delay. There was a bit of a. Hold on a second. There was a bit of technical difficulties, as you can see. You can hear that still. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, many technical <laughs> difficulties. Uh, why can I still hear that? Jake doesn't know how to use technology. <laughs> <laughs> My cover has been blown. I'm technologically, you know what. Um, so welcome, everybody. So today I've got Bree with me at her unbelievably beautiful house, uh, and we're going to be talking about lockdowns a little bit. So do you want to give me maybe a brief explanation as to who you are, what you've been doing over the last few years, and why basically you're interested in talking about the things that we talk about, that many people avoid these certain topics? <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's um, a little bit nerve-wracking talking about it because um, I guess I've come from an industry that's... Um, I don't know, become quite vocal about how things should be when it's not necessarily morally correct. Yeah. Um, so I've been a mental health support worker for about three and a half, four years. Um, and COVID really shifted the way in which we provided support to people, which was very, very concerning for me. Um, so when I mean mental health support worker, I mean that I work with people <laughs> who have... Um, you know, mental health conditions from schizophrenia mm. to traumatic brain injuries, um, personality disorders, um, and gosh, yeah, the list. And it would have been on full display over the last few years because obviously during COVID we've seen the numbers of suicides go through the roof. We've seen businesses being trampled on basically by government policy, absolutely zero regard for businesses and for small businesses and for the families that it's providing for and the individuals that it's giving purpose to. Uh, and these government policies by bureaucrats who have probably never owned a business in their life yep. have been so, they've been so flippant about the destruction of the businesses that, that has, has been a byproduct of their policies. Yeah. So, I mean, let's start with businesses and then we can move on to the more personal effects. Yep. Have you encountered many people who have been affected in terms of their businesses? Um, yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, just, just going back to what you said before too around um, government policies and things like that. You know, as a mental health worker, we over COVID had a bit of a joke when you know things are bad when normal people are going crazy. <laughs> because we already know that in society there's a, um, a group of people who, you know, suffer from mental health disorders, um, you know, because of trauma and, and things like that. And from what I've seen is we're seeing regular everyday citizens being traumatised by, by our government, um, by government overreach. Mm. And, um, you know, I know uh, I'll speak a little bit about Victoria. Um, you know, it, the stats in Australia is that, you know, one in five Australians reported severe cycle, psychological distress. But in Victoria, it was one in three. And so we've, we've seen the small businesses down there completely eviscerated, mm. um, you know, it used to be, you know, the number one city to live in. Um, yeah. Now I'd say it's one of the last cities. Well, I can speak to that. Because <laughs> I, I lived in. in Melbourne and I'm from yeah. there. And then in 2020, 
uh, I started to notice that, well, I mean, it wasn't hard to notice, but there was, it was palpable, the, the, the animosity between people in the air. And I'd walk around, and I've told this story on this podcast a few times of, you know, walking on a, on a path just with a friend and then there's someone doing what I call like the windmill going like that to make sure that nobody comes near them to social distance. And just people were going, were going mad yeah. and people were locked out in their homes and they were watching the news all day and all night and they were watching Dan Andrews on TV and then just constantly, constantly barraged with fear. And the problem with this is that people entrust the mainstream media and they entrust these politicians with telling them what the truth is, with yep. telling them, okay, Here's the truth for tonight because they don't have the time and energy to do do their own research. So then during COVID, they they would have consumed that media a lot more. And then the, the, like I said, the animosity between people was so palpable because of the lockdowns. And then people started, anyone who was going against the rules and regulations was all of a sudden, you know, a Nazi or whatever they wanted to call them. And yeah, it was terrible. And then I came up to Queensland. It was a lot better. Still not great. For a while. (laughs) Yeah. For a while. Still not great, but Victoria, Victoria is different. Like, it's really bad down there. Yeah, I mean, to give you a bit of a perspective as well when it comes to the, the mental health um, industry, dealing with people who have, you know, severe mental illness, there's a reason that they're there. And so part of the issue with the government's response is, you know, they would give people advice of, you know, FaceTime your friends and um, do Zoom calls and go for a walk with a friend. The people I've worked with, they don't have that. That's why I'm there. Um, and so their confidence in, in family through their childhood was gone. Okay, Their confidence in schooling systems, gone. Their confidence in you know, social aspects, gone. And so they're left with, you know, for a long time I thought it was a good thing. You know, Australia ha- has been very good in this, this regard that we believe that regardless of your you know, condition or things like that, you are welcome to participate in society. Mm. And so we've built this support system, this infrastructure where people like me, I call myself the hands and feet, mm. uh, so that they can rely on someone and, and they do have that and that, um, that interaction and that, and that support. And through COVID and COVID lockdowns, that was gone, that was taken away from them. Um, and that for me was extremely concerning because that goes against really our, our, our training and, and our um, modality in which we deliver services. Mm. Yeah, very, very concerning. And the, the hard thing about all of this is that we've now come to a place in, in Australia and in, in a conversation even amongst um, you know, clinicians and, and people who are very, very smart where conversations are being shut down. And that's sort of why I was you know, sort of keen to come on because I'm in an industry where people are extremely afraid to speak up and that bothers me because we represent voiceless people. And what, what do you think are the things that people are most fra- afraid to speak up about? What are the topics that are, little, that are a little bit off limits? Uh, vaccine mandates, uh, certainly, um, and the way in which uh, the, the measures put in place to, to stop the spread or to reduce the risk of transmission of covid and that, that conversation is completely gone. Uh, you can't even have the conversation. This is how it is. This is the way we do it. Don't question it. And that, that's interesting. Mm. So in our, in our field of work, we work um, 
almost like if I don't know if you've ever worked on the tools on a tool site, a construction site. I hurt myself every time I tried. Yeah, so you didn't do the daily brief, where in the morning they say was it tool talk. No, I never, tool talk? never yeah, did okay, that. That's no. concerning. I'll report, report <laughs> that to someone sometime. I can change a light bulb, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe. And so, like you'd have a tool talk. We we have risk assessments. And because some of the people we work with are a risk to society, mm. unfortunately. Well, I told you I used to work at the Salvation Army and we used to right. do the same thing. So I used yep. to work at um, a homeless shelter and yep. basically we'd feed them three times a day. And this was in Victoria. It was right in the middle of the city. So if somebody wow. wasn't in prison or they weren't in a mental institution, they were, they were with us. Yes, right. Similar. Yep. So every morning we would have volunteers come in. So we'd have a group of corporate volunteers from a different company and I'd have to take them upstairs and be like, not try to the fear of God in them, but be like, yeah. look, these people can be quite volatile and if you yeah. see a needle around, you have to do this. And if somebody, there's a fight, stay back and let us handle it, that sort of thing. So I, I kind of understand the daily brief, what you, what you mean there. Yeah, and so we, we have risk assessments and we drilled into us. And when I started to um, have some concerns, you know, I'd say to my, a, a good example of this actually is that, you know, with, with the mask mandate, Originally, we didn't know what COVID was. Hmm. That, that's that's true. Um, and I had a particular client that I worked with who had a, a brain injury. Hmm. And because of that brain injury was, I think, about 60 to 70% deaf. And he needed to read lips in order to communicate with people. And if he can't communicate with people, it would actually also have some other implications for him mentally as well. Right. And so when we were given all of the... Um, instruction from the health department uh, and the Queensland government about masks and, and masks and mask wearing. Uh, there was quite a, f- you know, credit to the government in, in some regard. There was discretion in how that is to be interpreted, and there was always clauses for people with conditions. Mm-hmm. And I, I saw how much he struggled wearing a mask, and so I went to my bosses and I, I told them about what was going on. I said, "Hey, I think we should either get him an exemption." Or we need to feel comfortable enough to um, encourage him that it's okay not to wear a mask if you cannot read lips. If it's becoming a hindrance to you, then I think that we should look at this, either get an exemption or we speak to our other workers and say, you know, socially distance. Mm. Um, I know we were getting some clients to sit in the back and we would sit in the front while we drove them around. And so I went to my bosses and immediately they just said, no, no. We don't want to ruffle any feathers. Um, what if what if the police stop you? And I said, well, have a conversation with the police. You know, I, I always give, whether it's the police, anyone, the benefit of doubt. You know, if we're having, you know, interactions with them and it goes sour, well, then we can sort of um, ha- have a further conversation. But for the most part, let's advocate for these clients because this is a real condition. And that they were too afraid, too, far too afraid to e- even have those sorts of conversations. And that was just so concerning to I me. Think, yeah, yeah. There's a few really good points there. And first of all, one of the, one of the points that you kind of raise is that yeah. there was blanket solutions put over a problem that requires an, an abundance of nuance. Yes. So there's so many different sort of cases of different types of people in different situations where, you know, mask wearing not, might not be a, a good thing. Perfect example for me is children. Children should not be wearing masks no, at all. No. Children need for their own psychological development to be seeing and un- interpreting and understanding expression and learning how to socialise. The last two years, 
of if this was say a child that was say from two to four yeah when their brain is like a sponge learning how to socialize you know i've heard that you actually can't socialize a child if they're not socialized by the age of four yeah and true. by the time they're an adult it's almost impossible to reverse that damage Yes, I can vouch for that because I've worked with people like that, yeah. yeah and Right, and then yeah. if somebody's not a socialised adult, then there are all kinds of different ramifications. Yeah. So the sort of narrow-mindedness of these policies and the low-resolution thinking that's gone into them without any nuance and without any regard to people's different situ- circumstances yeah. has been crazy. And then the second point that you raise, which I, really, which I second, is the lack of courage yeah. because in your field, you would expect that people would have the courage and would have the the cojones, if you don't mind me saying, to be able to just step up and say, actually, you know what? I know this person's situation. I know for a fact that mask wearing is going to affect them very negatively. I'm going to do a cost-benefit analysis here mm-hmm. and I'm going to stand up for this person's, you know, uh, options more more so than just sort of acquiescing and kowtowing to the, to the, to the rules that have been put in place. Well, We've always exercised discretion mm. um, and and the reason for that is I don't know if you know too much about the NDIS, National Disability Insurance Scheme. Um, it's a great scheme. Uh, it, you know, we've stopped institutionalising people um, and, and all those sorts of, of practices and, and part of our um, ethics and one of the, the codes in which anyone who works in our field does this on, in orientation and it's a term called dignity of risk. Mm. And dig- have you heard of dignity no, of risk? No, it's interesting though. I have termed it differently to some of my friends and I say everyone has a right to be dumb and everyone has a right to be smart. We have that right. Everyone has the right to try a cigarette um, and figure out if it's good for you or bad for you um, and expensive and, and mm. all those sorts of things. But, you know, I've in, never in- met someone who's figured out it's good for them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's very true. <laughs> um, and so in dignity of risk, it, you know, we've discovered that in order for a human to live a dignified life, there are certain decisions in which they make that make them a human being and are allowed those freedoms. And that's just a, an articulation really for what you and I do every single day, um, driving in the rain. Um, gosh, everything is a risk. Yes. And so going back to what I was saying, is that uh, part of our job is to exercise discretion. And for some reason, we just threw out discretion out the door, just completely out the door. You know, there's been times I've walked into a house and I've had a client open the door naked. Okay. And I've had, you know, uh, colleagues say, oh, my God, that's awful, I'm going to run out. Or we exercise discretion and go, he's having a bad day. Doesn't want to wear clothes. Okay, well, I'm going to come back in 10 minutes and you can put some clothes on. That's discretion. But for some reason when it comes to um, vaccines and these measurements in place, we've just thrown out discretion out the window and therefore violate people's dignity of risk. Mm. Yeah. I love the term dignity of risk. Mm. I've never heard that before. But... It, it really it really is something that that basically describes exactly how people are feeling right now yeah with in, in in three words really because it's the dignity to be able to do what the hell you want 
do your own research, take your own risks, understand the risks and the, and the, the potential ramifications of it, and then make your own decisions. And we see this a lot with politicians talking down to us and with politicians telling us to do this and do that. And, and I, I think the dignity of risk, when I, when I hear that term, I think about being told what to do, what to think, what's misinformation and yep. censorship and the likes. It's like, hold on a second. I know you're in a position of power, but you actually don't have the right to be able to tell me what to think and what to do and what media I can consume and what conclusions that I can come to, et cetera, et cetera. But, yeah. If you do that, if you start to assert your um, power um, or assert what information is true or not, what you're doing is you're actually insulting people's intelligence to, to the everyday person uh, and, and to, to people that I work with, then you're violating what we've agreed to because we're saying, well, you're wrong or you don't know what you're talking about. When all the people I've worked with, they've been through this. They've been through medication. They've been through issues where, you know, there was a client I worked with. She's on a particular medication called Seracol and it's an antipsychotic drug or oral laxer. Um, and so when she's heightened, she takes this, this particular medication. And she was never told this when she took this medication, but it can cause you to go blind. It can give you cataracts. And one of her best friends is now legally blind from using Seracol for 20 years. Wow. And so if any cohort is, you know, wanting to question about medication um, and about bodily autonomy, it's this group of people because they've been down this route so many times. I've been in hospitals where they're having a, a psychosis. What do they do? Drug them up. Drug them up. And just very, very concerning. Mm, very concerning. Yeah. And in terms of the mandates, have you seen yeah. many people, like you said before that, that when normal people start to go mad, what was, yeah. what was the, the, the entire phrase? Yeah, when, when, norm, when normal people start going crazy, you should be concerned. Yeah, right. Yeah. Have you seen many normal people start to go crazy? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I keep a close eye on what's going on in our industry just um, for my own progress and things like that. But Lifeline in one day last year had over 3,500 phone calls expressing I'm feeling you know, suicidal or low, I've lost my job. Um, suicide attempts have gone up through the roof, through the roof. Another fun fact for you actually is that 60% of road deaths are unaccounted for and most likely suicides. People just driving into, into a tree or just, yeah, just yeah. into a car. Yeah. Or... Yep, all, all sorts of things like that. And so business is shutting down. Um, some of my favourite cafes have shut down. Um, I, to answer your question, look, I was on the WHO website the other day and, and it said, you know, try and stay positive. The pandemic will soon be over. Mm. And you know what? It may be. But the damage that it done, has done that's not over. And society as we know it is damaged. And I'm a little bit nervous about damaged for good. Well, I'm damaged for good. I'm very nervous about it. And anybody who listens to our podcast re regularly will understand that there is a very good chance that COVID-19 is a Trojan horse mm -hmm. to get behind the gates of Troy. You know? <laughs> and then whatever help out how else happens next we don't even understand what the plan is but there's my tinfoil hat going on <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's for another day but yeah i mean 
normal people are are going mad during this, and, and it's 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 devastating. I was literally talking to your brother this morning about this on the phone, and I was saying and I was saying to him, you know, I was trying to get over to the UK mm-hmm. potentially over in the next few weeks, and yeah. they wouldn't let me go over because I'm unveed, right? Okay, and um, it's because I have to come back and then quarantine for two weeks. Right. And I can't afford to do that because yeah. I'll be starting a new job, whatever. And I had to go, I wanted to go over to the UK for a funeral. And wow. also you have to get an exemption to leave the country by the federal government. And it's just like when I when I take a step back and I look at this, I'm thinking, we had it so good. You know, we were able to just I could book a ticket tomorrow and leave and go to Europe if mm-hmm. I wanted to. And that's the sort of freedom that we should be allowed. But now the reins have been tightened. It doesn't matter that the data's in about the fact that, you know, unveed people aren't really, aren't, aren't spreading it, you know, recklessly like we once thought and that there's actually not that much of a difference and that we should be granted the dignity to make that decision. The data is in and the data is absolutely overwhelming about that. However, once a government gets a certain power and once, you know, there's a, there's a saying called hell hath no, that says hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Very true. I think that that's true, but also hell hath no fury like a government scorned. Mm. And at the same time, they have been proven wrong. The data's in. It spread like wildfire. It didn't matter if people were or were not. So now they're keeping the reins on. And I just, I just, I find it such a, such a massive injustice that we still have these measures in place. Yeah, I do. Because in in regards to the, the vaccines and as such, it, that's a whole other topic, mm. but for the industry that I'm involved in, is that people's fear over COVID is real. And I've, I've spent months and months and, and months affirming people and understanding it. Yeah, I would, yeah, that's, that's very real. It's, it's normal to be scared of these things. Mm. But the same fears that people have about vaccines are also real. But for some reason, that's nonsense. Mm. And this movement against so-called anti-vaxxers, I, I just find abhorrent because at the end of the day, anti-vaxxers, so-called, people who have concerns about vaccines have been around since day dot. And no one's asking, why do you have that concern? Mm. Instead, they say, go and have your chat to your, doc- to your doctor so then they can tell you to get the vaccine mm. because that's what they're actually inferring. And one thing that you cannot do with people that we work with is lie to them because they've been lied to a lot and they see right through it mm. they just they just see right through it and, and sorry just going back to the the vaccine things is that so i would say about 80 percent, 80 to 90 percent of the clients that i i was working with at the time had genuine concern about the vaccines mm. because of their experiences in the past around it and then above that concern was the discrimination because remember, they've already had discrimination because if they have an outburst in public, they look a bit funny, they smell a bit funny because of symptoms of their illness. We're now going one step further and saying we will discriminate against you if you're not vaccinated mm-hmm. against a group who's already been discriminated against. Crazy. That's the thing that I do remember about working with the Selvos is that, is that their naked honesty of the yeah. people there. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Literally. <laughs> Literally from time to time. But there is no bullshit whatsoever no. in those in those no. circles. And if you come in there as like trying to trying to like be something you're not, everyone there's is like we are all like whatever. Yeah. We're, we're, <laughs> Go away. We're, we're all in this in this boat. So like don't even try it with me. But yeah, I guess your 
your experiences with the with people who are extremely vulnerable. Mm-hmm. These are the people in society who have no trust. No. In what what the hell have you done for me that they're saying? Yeah. You know, well, what the hell has anyone done for me? Why the hell would I want to follow your rules? Well, if the what what comes to their mind is if if I can't trust you, who can I trust? There's nothing left for me. And that reduces hope in people because they go, well, what can I hope in in this world? Mm-hmm. I would do a, a little survey with some of the clients I worked with just out of curiosity. And I'd ask them questions along the lines of, do you think that the world is good or that the world is bad? And they would say, I think that every so often there's some good people, but I think that the world is bad. That's awful. It's absolutely awful. You know, I've watched so many media moguls and psychologists and so-called experts talk about people and numbers. But when you work with someone every single day or every week and you go into their home and they just, I am so alone I'm, I, and I, I can't leave my house. If I don't leave my house, then I'm going to start hearing voices. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. It is. And connection is the most important thing for people. Yeah. And I don't think that, like, if you're somebody who's been raised by a good family and you've had that connection around you, you have really close loved ones and you've had good friends, you went to a nice school and everything's been rather normal for you, you can't conceptualise what that feels like. But there no, are people can't. out there who have had absolutely nothing from day dot. They were never loved by their parents because their parents didn't know how to love them. They didn't have siblings who they could bounce off and be close with. They weren't socialised properly to make friends and to make deep connections. Nope. So they get to a place where they're in their, in their adult life and they actually don't understand what it, what it means to be loved, what it feels like to be loved, what it feels like to have friends and what it feels like to trust. And this is, these are the kinds of people that fall off the rails. And what you said before about people saying, I'm so lonely and you know, I think the world is bad, well, for me it doesn't surprise me to hear that sort of thing. And then for anybody who has worked in this, won't won't surprise me to hear it. But for most people, will think oh, the world's pretty good. You can you know have a job and friends and family, and you can go get ice creams on a Wednesday night with the girls <laughs> or gelatis or whatever. And you know life is pretty good. But the, there's an ancient religious idea that life is suffering. Yes. And yeah. and life is suffering. Yes, it is. But we as human beings, it's our role to put together. I guess the structure in our own life to combat that suffering and the fact that we are flawed, fallible human beings who are confronted every day with our own mortality. And, yep. you know, we, there's a million ways that you can die and there's a million ways that you can get hurt. And we have to put our own structures in place. But if you're somebody who's been born into a place where you don't have those structures laid out for you, this world can be a shocking place. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And just going back to what you were saying before too um, about people's confidence in the system, all these stories are flooding back to me now about Mm. the people I was working with because that's what really matters to me is the people that I'm working, have have worked with. You know, there was one girl I worked with and she had uh, panic disorder very, very badly. And so anything could set her off. And she she had just one of the worst, you can't, even speaking about it if, if I told you like, that's the script it's just unfathomable what she had been through and she had a panic attack in the middle of the street one time and she had asthma quite bad and the reason the panic attack came on was because of the mask she was wearing mm. and she hated wearing masks just absolutely hated it and um, 
she called the ambulance and said, I'm having a panic attack. Could you please come and help me? And so they came within a couple of minutes, which was which was really, really good. And she was still, you know, trying to um, calm herself down. And as the ambulance came, they said, um, if you want to come to the hospital with us, you need to put your mask back on. <laughs> the mask is what gave her the panic attack. And remember, this is like all these ambos are already masked up. And so, therefore, that cancels out what the mask does or was supposed to do in that time. And it wasn't N95 masks either. Fast forward two weeks later, by the way, she didn't. She hopped in the ambulance reluctantly because she was desperate for help. Mm. I went with her to the GP to say, hey, this is what's happened. Could you please get her an exemption? I told my bosses what I was doing as well. They were not big fans of it. Really? No, not at all. Don't ruffle the feathers. I went and saw the GP. This is what's happened. Do you think you could give her an exemption, please? This, these were her words verbatim. Look, she's probably eligible for one, but I just don't think it's worth it. And she has panic disorder, clinical. Yeah, clinical. It's diagnosed on her reports from a clinical psychologist. That is just... And asthma, are... which is another yeah. clause for masks. But these people are... <laughs> But the mask doesn't represent a mask and the person doesn't represent a person, right. unfortunately. That represents compliance. Exactly right. The mask represents something and it's an idea that people have attached to themselves. Like if you wear the mask, you are good. Yes. If you don't wear the mask, you are bad. You are bad. Vaxxer, anti-vaxxer. Yep. Mask, no mask. Like these are ideas that people have attached to themselves and they don't see somebody coming in who's a vulnerable individual. No. who doesn't want to, you know, be subject to wearing this mask because she has asthma and panic disorder, they say non-compliant. The news told me this person's bad. Yep. So it doesn't matter about the nuance involved in their own life. It just matters about the idea. Absolutely. And, look, men mental health is a, a funny thing because if someone's in, in a wheelchair, there's a disability. It's mm. quite obvious. With mental health, it's it's very hard. We, you can't read minds. I'm sure you've got that by now. <laughs> but it's very you, you can't see it on the outside until you converse with someone oh that was a little bit of a different exchange mm. and yeah dot 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 yeah i mean i've had lots of different exchanges in my days working with salvos and mm. yeah it was very interesting and uh i can't imagine what those people would be going through right now because when i was finishing up at the salvos covid i actually lost my job there because of that but yeah. um when I was finishing up there, they were doing, it was at the very start of it all. And the cafe okay. was getting shut down, opened back up, shut down, opened back up. And then every time we walked around, we had to put those little booties on, you know, those little boot things. Like you put like the cloths that go over right. your feet when you walk around and all. And it was just, and this was like COVID mania. Yeah. But yeah, I can't imagine how many more people would have flooded into there because that was the place where people would go if they weren't in a mental institution, like I said, and they weren't in prison, they were there. So People, we, I often had a few people who had lost their businesses or they'd been gotten hooked on prescription drugs. That was a big one. People who had, you know, hadn't had a workplace injury. I remember one guy, he had a workplace injury, fell off a ladder, family, three kids, all that sort of thing. He was living a nice, oh. nice normal life. He had, and then he, his pain was so bad in his back that he started getting on codeine and prescription drugs. Next minute, he's totally addicted. The doctors don't want to prescribe it to him anymore and he starts using heroin and then finds himself at, sleeping on the floor at the salvos. So mm -hmm. that now that so many businesses were taking, taken away from people, 
and so many livelihoods and, and purposes were taken away from people. I can't imagine how many more would have ended up in those sorts of vulnerable situations. Me either. I, I think that's sort of my concern now. I I don't like to be speculatory. It's just not in my nature. I don't like that. But from what I've seen, I just don't believe with my own two eyes. I, the last two years I've decided that I'm going to use my own two eyes mm. because if I see it, I believe it because so many things, as we know, it just lies in the media. Mm. And when the government says that employment is down to, I don't know, three, I think it was 4.8%, Josh Frydenberg yeah, right. said recently, that's impossible because so many people I know of in my particular industry and other industries, whether it's businesses being shut down, um, the, the mandates that have come in place and people have left certain industries and things like that, and they're still looking for jobs. It's just not its not possible. I just don't believe that. And I'm happy to say I'm wrong. Uh, I don't mind saying that. But with my own two eyes, I've seen so much job loss. It's just absolutely insane. And so on a personal level, mm-hmm. have you had many clients personally that you have noticed, like, the, the, the effects of the of particular government regulations or what have you have had a personal effect where you've said, okay, this is measurable from the start of this Mm -hmm. till now. I know this person and this has had this effect on in terms of their loneliness or their financial situation. Yeah, absolutely. I I think in about 90 to 95% of my clients, I saw rapid decline, rapid decline. Um, One particular client I was working with, it was the isolation that got her the most and she was doing quite well. Um, and then she was going from, you know, one panic attack every two months, every month to weekly and then it became worse. It was every second day. And I'm not talking about panic attack as in I can't breathe, I can't breathe, I need to sit down and have a drink of water. I'm talking about in the middle of Central Train Station screaming, someone help me, someone help me. Um, you know, on another level too, that there's a, uh, a few people I know who um, are clients who decided that the vaccine wasn't for them. They had some reservations. Some of it was a cultural thing. Um, a few Indigenous clients that um, I've worked with. Do um, why that is? I haven't done quite done, done enough research into why it is that um, our Indigenous brothers and sisters aren't wanting to take the... There's a few reasons. Um, she's actually in Stolen Generation. Mm. Um, her confidence in the government has always been quite low. Um, one, she said, um, I'm quite healthy. I just, I don't feel like I need that. Um, and yeah, uh, some were religious reasons as well. Um, others just, some were hypochondriacs. I'm like, I don't want to take this. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some of our unvaccinated clients, um, one of the biggest things that irked me a lot, which is why I left that organization and chosen to work somewhere else, um, is that we were changing how we would support um, unvaccinated clients. Okay. So yeah. gen- discriminating. Yes. yes. Yeah. And so that, that, that impact impacted those particular clients uh, hugely because they lost um, some of their key, key supports. Um, I know for some there were some rule changes that if a client is unvaccinated, they can't come on our premises anymore. Mm. Um. And then they sort of changed their mind and said, oh, no, you just have to wear a mask if you're not going to reveal it. Um, but then we were, if you don't wear a mask, we won't do in-home care for you. Right. 
um, and you need to sit in the back of the car. Um, and we will wear um, full PPE and gowns and gloves. And remember, at this point in time, most of our industry is vaccinated. Mm. Most. Most are vaccinated. Um, yeah, so it impacted um, most of our clients significantly. And you're, you're somebody who, like, by the sounds of things, I haven't asked you this, but mm. ethically and in terms of your values, it's come as you are, sit next to me. We can, you know, break bread together. And it's not about, you know, you, you didn't make this certain medical decision, so you have to sit in the back seat or you're not going to postulate or virtue signal on on basis of if somebody's had a medical procedure or not. So Completely. that went against your values and that's why you had to leave. Beyond that, it went against the values that we all agreed to. And that was one of the conversations I had with our management team because they said, oh, you know, it violates your values. I said, no, no, it doesn't violate my values. It violates our values. Yeah. This is what we've all, all agreed to. This is something that we've signed on a piece of paper that we advocate for. Mm -hmm. And yet for some reason you've, you've changed your mind on that. And I mean, a lot of the people like, I know from my experience, I knew that there were a pretty, like a pretty decent handful of people that had hep C, that had HIV, that, mm -hmm. that were positive for all kinds of different diseases and also yes. con contagious diseases yep. as well. Yep. I didn't specifically know who, I didn't know the medical records of everybody, but I knew that if I was walking around that place, that I had to sometimes be careful with the with how like close I got to people. Absolutely. If somebody had, was spitting saliva when they're talking, I had to be really close, careful about that. If somebody was bleeding, I had to be extra careful about that. If I was cleaning like like a shower or something, and if I saw bloods, so I had to be really careful. Absolutely. That so, I would never discriminate on that regard. I would just you know take precautions in my own right. Yeah, and there I, I can think of so many examples about times that we have exercised discretion and. I wouldn't be throwing anyone under the bus with this, but people who have bended rules because it was the best thing for that client. Mm -hmm. That happens where we've, we're not, a, we weren't crisis workers, but we worked past six or seven o'clock sometimes. If yeah. they called at a certain time of day, we picked up the phone because it was the best decision for that time. And in those conversations with my management, the resounding sound that I heard, which I know you guys were talking about it last night about it's very discerning, like where's the uproar? And I cannot get this quote out of my head. Some of the people who I was closest with at, at my organisation and still hold them in high regard said to me, it is what it is. And I said, it's actually not. It mm. isn't. It's not it is what it is. You need to speak up for these people, if not yourself. Yeah. How long will this go on for? Um, and... Behind closed doors, so many clients would come to me and just say, I'd say to them, sit 1.5 metres away from me and take off your mask. Mm. And they would say, thank you so much. Thank you. I hate wearing this mask. I cannot breathe in their own home. Mm. Because we would then tell them, yes, it becomes our workplace once we enter there, what they have to do in their own home. And I'm just not comfortable doing that. Not mm. at all. But, yeah, that, that point of it is what it is. It doesn't no. have to be. No, not at all. And I guess this is a good segue to we like to talk about these things and we like to get it off our chest and have a bit of a rant about it. And yes. I know I love to have a rant about it, as yep. you may have noticed. <laughs> but I guess the next thing is that we have to talk about is then what's, what's next? What can we do about it? 
how can we speak up? And you know, what you've done is you've left an organization that didn't align with your values and something that you couldn't sort of, you know, potentially sleep properly at night knowing that you were being a part of. Yeah. If you did have to play to those rules, you'd gone off and you've you're doing something that's much more aligned now. So in everyday life. What are some of the tips and advice that you give to your clients and the people that you speak to about how to manage the crisis that we're going through? Um, I've always said to people, whenever you like, I, I, that risk assessment training that I've had, I apply that to my everyday life. And so I always ask people the question, what's the worst that could happen? If I speak up, what's the worst thing that could happen? I educate someone about what's going on. And, and so I'd say to people, instead of going, oh, my God, what's going to happen? This could happen and that could happen. Overcome that anxiety. Mm. You have to overcome it. That's what we teach people. Overcome that initial nerves and, and anxiety of going, oh, I'm not too sure. What if I ruffle some some feathers? Mm. Ruffle the feathers and then see what happens. Mm. Absolutely. Ruffle put, the feathers. Put it out there. Put it out there and see what happens. That's what I always like to say to people. I mean, the thing that I – the reference that I always like to use is that Carl Jung talked about, he's a psychologist, talked about the, the joke, the fool and the hero, right? Okay. You've got the hero archetype and the fool or whatever. So everybody starts off the fool to become the hero. So yeah. I always say to people, don't be afraid to be the fool yeah. because we're all a fool in some sense. I was, you know, last week we were meant to do a podcast together mm -hmm. and I went to the wrong address. Yes, you Ooh. did. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're, it, it's okay to be the fool sometimes. And I think that now we live in a time where people are so afraid in terms of the marketplace of ideas to look like the fool that they just won't say anything and they'll self-censor. And sometimes if you have an idea and if you have a thought, the best way to adjust that and to sharpen that tool is to just put it out in the public forum. Yeah. It might be the dumbest thing ever yeah. and it might be totally wrong. But the only way you can find out is that if you if you put that out there and you get fit criticism and feedback. So I think that becoming a discerning individual and becoming a critical thinker, a lot of it, you know, it's very hard to do that on your own. Sometimes you have to sort of like put your ideas out there and, and get people's opinions and people's feedbacks and hear from them. And I don't think that this crisis is anything different. If you see something that you that makes you think, oh, God, like I don't know if I can, like, like you with the story about the person with the mask. Yeah. You saw that. And you said, okay, this doesn't align with my values. Something's not right here. I'm going to sort of unpack this a little bit and I'm going to see what I can do. Whereas I think that what a lot of people are doing is that they're seeing something and they're saying, oh, that's the rule. Must mm -hmm. be right. Dan Andrews said it. Must be right. Well, hold on a second. Is it right? Because we know from historical experience that what governments say isn't always necessarily right and morally correct. <laughs> Absolutely. And it goes back to high school days. Just because everyone's doing it doesn't make it right. Mm. I remember that was just resounding in my head because some of my colleagues, they were quite vocal about other issues. They were not afraid, particularly when it came to pay time mm. <laughs> um, and when it came to um, hours that we worked and things like that. But all of a sudden when it came to this, what people were made of was really, really exposed. And that's a good thing. I, mm. I found out what I was made of during that time as well. Because I was like, I thought to myself, this is really scary, mm. um, but I'm doing what is right. And I realized that I'm maybe a little bit tougher than I thought. Yeah. Uh, a little bit more unafraid than I thought. Because I was, I was going against some very big wigs mm. and people who 
um, are quite high up in, in the mental health industry. We're a leading provider of services. Right. We've been around since the early 1900s wow. and really changed the scope um, of mental health and how it's delivered. Uh, and so, yeah, I think we're just really finding out what people are made of in this well, time. I think that, to be honest, it comes back to the idea of connection and social connection and the idea of stepping out of line because I think that people innately yearn for social acceptance and to have people around you and to, to be acknowledged and to be, you know, to have that gratification of people, of people real, like having friends around you. I'm trying to look for words I'm thinking for, thinking of. To, to have that acceptance of people around you and then to go against the grain, I think is almost to go against a human instinct. To go against the grain, to go against the status quo and the narrative is something that requires a great deal of courage. Yes, certainly. And to go one step further, when we look at what the government has done, there's a certainly an element of social engineering because people don't want to feel left out, they don't want to feel picked on, and they don't want to feel left behind. It does something to us. It's a first world problem, don't get me wrong. That's why we, ha that's why we have isolation. In another country, you're worried about food. In Australia, you're worried about isolation. It's a little bit different, all relative, all real. And so when you get the government telling friends and family members to call out someone on their medical decisions, that's social engineering, which is beyond another step is an engineering of socialism as well, mm. which is why we're seeing this group think happening occurring across the board now we're mm. getting into the juicy stuff <laughs> <laughs> it is though as well because there's there's no doubt about it that there is are we allowed to say on youtube the mass for i don't know if it's going to ruin my you, algorithm you said it not me mass for sorry you guys know if you guys know you know. Like <laughs> <laughs> exactly right thanks you're my algorithm <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's true and that was something that was that really hit home when i was listening to robert malone and when I was listening to that podcast, it's like people will just go with the grain. And it's like the scary part about it is that they know it's wrong. Everyone knows it's wrong. Behind closed doors, they know it's wrong. Yes, behind closed doors, absolutely. Mm. absolutely. And, that, and that bothers me because it's sad for those people. It's sad for those people. I, I remember one particular colleague I actually worked with. Uh, she did not want the vaccine and I don't like to go too much into people's personal lives and, and vaccine statuses and things like that because I do think it's private uh, or the effectiveness, that's a conversation for another time. And she just did not want this vaccine for a whole host of reasons. She'd done some research um, and she ended up getting it to keep her job. And in my book, that's not a reason to get a vaccine. You get a vaccine because you believe in its medical efficacy mm. um, and you make that decision for yourself not to keep a job. And she was a shell of herself afterwards. She resented herself and she resented her workplace because she'd made this particular decision, which she has to live with, that wasn't for a medical reason. It's awful. Absolutely awful. Well, if there's anything that's going to give you a resentment towards, towards anything, really, it's going to be forced into a medical procedure or something. And bodily autonomy is something that's incredibly important. And it's something that's just been done away with during this. It's like, oh, it doesn't matter. Just put it in your body. Just do it. Ah, oh, is that how we play now? Just, just, just do it. Well, when you say things such as do it, do it for your community, um, 
do it for other people. Do it because it's the right thing. Medical decisions are not moral decisions. And, and that distinction has to be made. It's not a moral decision because if medical decisions become moral decisions, well, then we don't have a health industry. Mm. And what I'm most, one of the things that I'm most concerned about is when we started thinking like collectivists again. Yes. When did we start, th- when did I start saying, I do it for my, I'm sorry. That sounds good. And we can all sit around and hold hands and sing Kumbaya together and do it for the community and peace, love and hippie. We're all all in this together. We we can all do that. But we're not. We know that through the human experiment, that's not not how things work. No, we're not all in this together. Is when you look at yourself as an individual and you try and make the best individual that you can. And then maybe one day you can help out your you can help out your family, you can help out your community. And we know that individualism is the best way to go. So when Absolutely. did it start to become cool to be a collectivist again? That became cool probably a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And people probably weren't so aware that it was actually happening. This has been engineered into into universities. I've had a good friend who was at university and she studied public health. Now I have a very different view on health. First of all, I don't think that health necessarily should be public. No, it's my health, not it's, public health. Yes, yeah. because it's my responsibility to look after myself and we're taking responsibility away from people and that's just, that creates a, a socialist uh, society. And so I think it's actually started a couple of years ago and it's just slowly weaned its way through our universities uh, and, and through education and things yeah. like that. Um, my, my little brother literally today, was texting me because luckily he's at university at the moment and I've worded him up and told him, be a critical thinker. Don't just believe everything you heard because most people will walk into those doors of the institutions and they will just be sheep to whatever is told to them because that's a university professor. So I should believe everything, everything that they tell me because they're the professor. I'm here to learn like you're in primary school still. But you have to be a critical thinker with these professors. And he was texting me today saying, oh, this teacher's on this, this lecturer is on this huge uh, rant about Trump mm. to me and saying that he's from, he's from, um, he inherited his wealth and he didn't build anything himself and he's out of control and megalomaniacal. And I was like, thank God I raised you to be a critical thinker <laughs> because that's not really okay if you're, a, if you're a lecturer and you're just sitting there telling somebody what to think telling them what's going on, what to think, not sort of understanding how to flirt with ideas and how to add a critical think and saying, what do you guys think? They're just telling them. So don't get me started on the university. Well, I I probably should clarify that. It's actually not necessarily just socialism. It's communism. Mm -hmm. I know for some conservatives they say socialism is, is wrapped in communism, maybe to a degree. But really we are entering into some forms of, of communism because it's state-run things. Socialism, it's more um, divided between the people. Mm. And I, I've, I've got a family member who's a socialist. We're a little bit different on the political pen- pendulum. Can I imagine? Very different. <laughs> but the irony is that we have a great relationship and we talk about these things. We actually have the same goal. It's just how you get there that's mm. different. No, I always find that. And, yeah. and I do give credit where credit's due yes. to some of those people. But I think that you just have to look at it from a standpoint where you're saying, okay, am I a socialist yeah. or am I somebody who believes in, you know, better better safety nets in a community and more government programs? And like, where do I draw the line? Because when I, I say, where do I say, when I say socialist, am I Venezuela? 
am I going to go and nationalize all the oil? Am I going to start all these huge freaking government programs and then be spending this much and then eventually crash and the inflation go through the roof? Am I going to be Cuba? Am I, do I want people waiting on a food line and have absolutely no opportunity to grow a business and no opportunity to sort of flourish and find purpose in life? Do I want to be, you know, I mean, driving around those old cars is kind of cool, but do I want that? No. So am I social or am I looking more towards Norway? Do I want to be a country that has, you know, uh, great social safety nets and very high taxes in, on certain things, but still very capitalistic in that sense? Do I want that? Cool. Well, then I live in Australia. Is that possible? No, because it's comparing apples and oranges at the same time. Definitely. So I think that these conversations are always really interesting. It's also interesting to get to the crux of what somebody means when they say they're a socialist. And that comes down to culture as well. Uh, I think Australia is a very interesting place. I grew up here, but we're a very young country. Mm. We're a very, very young country. And I don't know, I mean, we, we come from England. I mean, me, I'm like, how do you come from England? You don't look, <laughs> she ain't white. <laughs> oh, I've been to England and then, yeah. yeah I, 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 was in, I was from Hackney, so. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I was like one of the only white guys in my boxing gym. Right. So. <laughs> gotcha. and, and, yeah, Australia is a very unique country. Mm. We are the lucky country. There's good wages. Um, you can grow food here. Um, there's a safety net here. It's it's the perfect recipe for, uh, for success in, mm. in so many ways. In saying that, though, you don't have to work very hard to reap reward. Mm. And that's created a, a generation of people who don't work very hard, yet they reap these these rewards. And so I think it's a cultural thing as well, our, our economy as well. Mm. I don't think Australians know what they want. I, well, I think that we've kind of discovered what they want is to be looked after and, well, and yeah, safety yeah, and security. <laughs> Because, yeah, yeah that's, that's become quite self-evident over the past few years. I'm just going to read out a few comments yeah, here because sure. we've got a few great ones. And here we go. Really that that's funny, he says, ironically, the unvaxxed will end up saving the community if they end up being the only ones left who have the functional immune systems. Now, it's, it's a big call, but, I mean, I guess time will tell. You time can't really tell. rule anything out at this stage. So over the next few years, there will be more clinical research done on these issues and we'll be seeing what the effects of it. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see over the next few years how that plays out. Yeah, definitely. The so Daria says you're forcing, you're forgetting social media. Social media has done incredible Sorry, damage Darius. to society that has been an incredibly effective medium in engineering the mindset that requires social approval and validation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Darius, you're totally right in saying that. Um, social media is such a funny thing because I think the loneliness epidemic too stems from social media mm. in, in a big part. Uh, people don't know how to be alone. They just don't. You're constantly on your – you're connected to something. It's great in some ways. I mean, this podcast, thank you, technology. Thank you, social media. But like anything, there's always adverse effects. Yes, exactly. And I, I hear what you're saying there. So with, so, <laughs> with social media, it's, it's certainly take – I don't know if the benefits – um, outweigh the risks of social media coming from a, a mental health perspective mm. because people really don't know how to be alone well, and they the, care what yeah. other people think. That goes back to the social engineering. Right. We care about what other people think far too much. Yes, we do. Far and it's the much. instant gratification as well, the instant validation that people can get from social media, from other things as well. I mean, the internet is having 
an effect on us that once again, this is another thing that we're going to have to do clinical research about in the future because the internet's already only been around for a few decades, mm -hmm. which in the grand scope of things is not much. It's not much at all. And social media has only been around for a decade. I remember, I mean, maybe a little bit longer than that. I remember MySpace back in the day when I was in like year eight. How old was I? Wow. I would have been 14, so that would have been like 2009. So like maybe like 15. So not, let's not, say, not that long ago. Let's okay. say 15 years yeah. if social media has been around for. So we don't know the effects of that. And then another thing you've got as well as the extension of that is the internet. And like I often wonder about, for, especially for young men and, and like the, the effects of porn that that, that that's having on, on men and young men especially as well in their developmental stage we talk about young maturing brains and the the ability to socialize social media is going to have a gigantic effect on that porn is going to have a huge effect on that and the instant validation that you get from the both of those things is going to be yeah but this is this is a whole <laughs> this is a whole yeah, darius has opened up a bit of a can, you, of, can of worms there what else have we got on there that's it for now. We just had your uh, your brother say hurry up and start the stream before. Mm, and then we had. Doesn't sound like him. Uh, that's Paul. That's daddy. Then we had, I'm a grumpy old man saying, I see closing businesses all around me now. Don't, don't be grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's awful to see. Hmm. It's, it's awful to see businesses closing down because these businesses they shape our communities. Mm. And if there's one thing that Australians love and we're good at, we've seen it in the floods here, is community. Mm. And, and they're the life of our community. I remember through lockdowns, the incredible support that people would do for their local cafes. I would buy four coffees a day. I had to work from home. and I went walking and I would just buy four coffees a day just to support them. And I remember the owner telling me that they'd have business owners just give them 20 bucks for coffee. And so just keep the change and just, mm. and they, they really do shape our communities. What makes up, we're, we're in Brisbane, everyone. What makes um, Paddington great? The cafes, the local businesses, West End. The atmosphere. Yeah. The atmosphere. And mm. so, yeah, we're seeing, I don't know, the, the fabric of our society just. Mm. But also with that, it's such a great point about businesses, but then also the attitude towards one another is another thing. Like when I was talking about being in Melbourne and the tension and animosity between people, yep. you could feel it in the air. That was so un-Australian and that was very unique to Australia to have that sort of level of social division because normally we're, yep, g'day, mate, how you going, that sort of thing. But there was like now now we're seeing teams, we're seeing political teams and we're seeing ideological teams, anti-vaxxer, vaxxer, well, mainstream alternative news. Going back to the point I said uh, a couple minutes ago about how I'm <clears throat> nervous that I think that a lot of damage has been done and we can't go back from it. There's a very clear divide. And when it comes to, I know that there's um, gender identity issues and, and politics with that. Now we're seeing our health become our identity. Mm. And so if you don't do what I tell you to do, then it's a personal attack mm. or it's a, or you're not of good character because you don't know how to make the best decision for other people, let mm. alone yourself. And so it's becoming an identity politics, but now with our health, which is a very scary thing, because if it's a health issue, then there's a physiolog physiological impact. Mm. And that can result in death. That can result in, you know, mental health is a physiological thing as well. Right. It, it impacts us physiologically as well. 
Yeah, I think that it's becoming more and more evident that ideas are everything and that the way that people attach themselves to ideas yeah. is, can be quite alarming. And I think it's so important to talk about because so many people I know personally are A, afraid and B, feel like they're alone in what they're thinking. Yeah. I, I remember I've got a, a great bunch of friends around me and we sort of have similar perspectives on things just in terms of division. Mm. And I, I often wonder, is there anyone else in what year were you born? 95. 95, okay, I'm 94. Uh, in our cohort that think like us. And the more I talk to people, there is. They just don't have the media platforms and mm. therefore they're not the loudest voice. And yes. the loudest voice isn't always uh, a reflection of what people are truly thinking. Mm. Yeah. Well, Brie, I'm going to wrap it up here. Uh, just let everyone know where we can find you. Well, I'm not a big fan of social media, um, but you can find me on Twitter under the acronym A Very Concerned Citizen. A Very Concerned Citizen. A Very Concerned Citizen. Like yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for tuning in, guys. And uh, don't forget to uh, go and follow Bree at A Very Concerned Citizen. So I'm just going to read out a few of the last comments quickly. Chris says, Bree, do you have any thoughts or tips for what people can do to keep their sanity during these times? Oh, this is going to sound so cliche. Mm. <laughs> Please forgive me, Chris. But stay true to yourself. Mm. You, you don't pretend to be something that you're not just to fit in. Um, live and, and for some people, do not comply. D don't engage on a level with, with people who aren't going to engage on the same level with you. It's not worth it. Have conversations with people. If it's not getting anywhere, find what you do have in common. Mm. Otherwise, let live and let live. Mm, absolutely. Yep. And just the last one. That's Funny says, I'm in Melbourne. I supported local cafes during the lockdowns by buying takeaway coffee. Now I'm not allowed in the cafes. Oh, gosh. Where, where were the business owners and groups standing up against this? That's a great question. Where were they? And unfortunately, it goes back to my previous comment too, is that everything's being exposed now and you are going to have that in some instances as well. Mm, yeah. Yep. And God be with them. Yes, exactly right. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a great way to finish. And thank you again for coming on, Brie. Really appreciate Thanks it. We'll so do plenty of collaborations me. in the future. Welcome back anytime. Okay, cool, guys. <laughs> thank you so much. Make sure to follow a very concerned citizen.